This is Right From The Deep. I'm Karen Ball. And I'm Erin Taylor-Young. And this is the podcast from writers for writers, answering the question, why am I doing this? Right. As writers, editors, and a former literary agent, we're in the deep with you, encouraging you and equipping you to find your truest story in the deep places. Get our show notes and more, including a free audio download on how to safeguard your writer's heart at writefromthedeep.com. Hey guys, we've got some fun stuff happening over at Right From The Deep. We do. First, thanks to our patrons on Patreon. If you're wondering what that is, it's a platform that enables creatives like us to get paid. It does take time and money to put together these podcasts and pay for the hosting. Totally not free there. So our <laughs> patrons on Patreon truly help make this podcast possible. So you can find out more about that if you're interested on patreon.com slash right from the deep. And it's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And special thanks to our June sponsor of the month, KD Astor. Yay, KD Astor. (laughs) (laughs) She's hard at work on her novel, Kingdom of Azure. And we're excited to see how it turns out. KD Astor, thanks and keep on writing. Yes. And another thing is that we have a sponsorship from the Novel Marketing Podcast with host Thomas Umstead Jr. And we think he's a genius, guys. (laughs) We really recommend this podcast. You can find it at novelmarketing.com or in your favorite podcast podcast app. And because of the sponsorship, we've been bringing you Novel Marketing's 10 Commandments of Book Marketing. This week, we're up to commandment number seven. Thou shalt weigh thine options before investing in marketing. You know, investing in marketing is a given. Every successful author does it. But how much of which resources do you invest? For example, one resource is time and another is money. And they're both stinking valuable. Yes. But how much do you have of each? And how do you allocate them? You can't spend the same marketing dollar on two different things. You've got to choose. Nor can you spend the same hour of time on two different things as much as we like to think right. we can. There's always going to be a cost, a thing you choose and a thing you don't choose. The best thing you can do for yourself is understand and weigh your options so you can make the best decisions you can. Right. And remember, you also need to be asking the right question when it comes to marketing. Do not ask will this tactic or this thing I want to try help me sell more books? Because guys, lots of things might help you sell more books. The real question is, will this help me sell more books than the next best alternative? And for that, again, you need to know what those alternatives are. And listening to Novel Marketing Podcast is a great way to be informed about your options, which is why we recommend the show. For more book promotion and platform help, you can get that by listening to Novel Marketing in your favorite podcast app or at novelmarketing.com. We've been sharing wonders with you as well, and it's my turn this week. So I had something happen this morning that uh, put me in a state of wonder at God's grace and His provision. I um, take a number of medications, uh, prescriptions, and I have two corgis who are very much like little vacuum cleaners. They go (laughs) snipping along and those tongues come out and snag up anything and everything that's there. So I came in in the morning to brush my teeth and in the evening I take a blood pressure pill, but it is tiny, tiny, tiny. I mean, my blood pressure is really okay, pretty good, but I take half of a normal pill and it's just super, super tiny. And as often as not, it can get stuck in my fingers or I drop it on 
on the sink. Well, I glanced down while I was getting ready to brush my teeth and there was my blood pressure pill on the floor. Now, while that pill is teeny, teeny, tiny for someone who weighs as much as I do, it is not so teeny, tiny to a dog that only weighs 25 to 35 pounds, and it could have done some serious damage to either one of my little four-legged babies. How they missed it is beyond me. Hmm. And yet, I know that there was God's provision in there. I know that God made sure that that pill was invisible to their tongues and their noses, and I fully believe that he was being gracious to me in keeping them safe. And I love the fact that the God of the universe loves us so much and cares about us so much that he will take care of even these little things, these animals that we have in our lives and the things that seem small to the world but are huge to us, all because he loves us. Yeah. And now... Here's the the show! Welcome, writers, to the deep. And today we've got a deep topic because we're talking about, (laughs) well, we always talk about deep things, but today it's guilt. Okay. Now, most people do feel guilt and they hate it. It's one of those emotions you really never want to experience. And yet it tends to invade our lives all the time. But why? I mean, after all, those of us who follow Christ, we shouldn't feel guilty about anything, should we? I mean, if our sins are covered by Christ, Christ's sacrifice, his restoring act on the cross, we're forgiven, right? So why is there guilt? What place does that have in the life of a believer and the life of a writer? Well, I confess I wondered about that myself. Are we, as God's children, who've been restored to him by the blood of Christ, struggling with emotions God doesn't want us to feel? If that's the case, is it bad that we're struggling with those emotions? Are we hindering our relationships with God and others or damaging our witness by doing that? Are we letting those unnecessary emotions keep us from doing what God has asked us to do on our writing journey? After all, if we're guilty, who the heck are we to write about life and faith? How can we inspire others when we're caught up in guilt ourselves? And, And if we're doing all that, engaging in something we shouldn't be engaging in, how do we stop? And if we're supposed to feel guilt, how could we ever consider it a gift? And indeed, all good questions, and we're (laughs) going to cover them today. Well, let's just start out then by figuring out what the word guilt really means, and we'll go to our favorite resource, Webster's. Yes, and the definitions in Webster's are the fact of having committed a breach of conduct, especially violating law and involving a penalty, or the state of one who has committed an offense, especially consciously. The next meaning has guilt as feelings of culpability, especially for imagined offenses or from a sense of inadequacy. Morbid self-reproach often manifest in marked preoccupation with the moral correctness of one's behavior. Now, they use that as a definition of guilt. I call that false guilt, which we'll talk about in our next podcast. Yes. And so the last definition in Webster's, the state of being liable to penalty for offense against the law. You run the red light, you're guilty. You get a fine. 
It's used in respect to persons and sometimes property that by reason of illegal usage has become liable to forfeiture or other burden. Wow. That for lots of words. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so we have the definitions. Let's consider the question of whether or not we believers should be feeling guilty. 1 John 1.8 says, um, oh, John gives us a nice bit of encouragement. He says, <laughs> if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Yeah, okay, ouch, we still <laughs> sin. And then there's Romans 8.23, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. So, yay, groaning, longing, release for sin. (laughs) So, guys, if we still sin, surely we do have something to feel guilty about. Well, you know, James certainly seemed to think so. Consider James 4. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. And now listen to this. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Right. So there you go. Wash your hands. Sadness, gloom, (laughs) sorrow, deep (laughs) grief. This sounds like the consequences of guilt. And Paul talks about his own struggle with with this, his own sinful self in Romans 7, 14 through 8, 4. Um, He says this, The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And then he writes this powerful truth. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit." Just soak that in for a minute. (laughs) So these are just a few of the scriptures that show that those of us who are restored to God, our Father, through Jesus' death and resurrection, are far from sinless. And if we sin, you know, we're going to feel guilt. And more important, we will be in this factual state of guilt. But the truth is that guilt or feeling guilt doesn't damage our witness or hinder our obedience in whatever tasks God gives us, including our writing. Okay, I can hear you now. But how can I write for others to inspire and uplift them if I'm guilty? Well, as Jesus pointed out, quote, it's not the well who need a physician, but the sick, unquote. Guilty or not, of course we can inspire others in our writing because we're not writing from some holy point above what our readers struggle with. We're writing right there with them in the struggle. Those who haven't faced what our readers have are the ones who have little to say. 
Right. So, yes, we do, and we should feel guilt, but why exactly? What is the purpose of guilt, and is it just emotions, or is it something else? Okay, I like what John I. Snyder wrote in his blog, uh, A State of Being, Guilt and Shame. There's a title for you. We'll have a link in the show notes for that. He says this, the, from the Bible's point of view, guilt Real guilt is first and foremost not a feeling, it's a state of being. It's the position of being out of line with our God by virtue of our sin. It can be fixed only by being placed into a right relationship with Him, a solution that's brought about only by God Himself, not by us. It is His specialty to fix this problem. (laughs) Resorting to our own measures only makes things worse. So when God fixes our guilt, nothing more can be or needs to be added to it. We can't make it better or earn it. Oh, but the good news is God does it. God does everything. So guilt, true guilt, and yes, again, there's false guilt out there, but we'll talk about that on the next podcast, is a twofold proposition. It's a state or a condition. When we do what we know is wrong or when we don't do what we know to be right, basically, when we sin, we are guilty. Our emotions have little or nothing to do with our guilt. We are, in fact, in a state of being guilty because we've done wrong. But guilt is also the emotional response we feel when we're in a state of guilt. Whether our wrongdoing is in violation of God's laws, civil laws, those laws that don't break God's laws, or our own personally held values, the result is the same. True guilt. We sin and we feel guilt. Right, and I'm betting we all know that terrible feeling, that heaviness and regret and the restlessness, sadness, Mm. grief. You know, back to that, wash your hands, you sinners. (laughs) It's the awareness that we've damaged something, whatever it is, integrity, our relationship with God or people. It's this holy nagging to put things right. So how does this affect writers? Well, I mean, writers seeking to honor Christ were constantly presented with these temptations, these violations, these opportunities to do what isn't right. You know, maybe a publisher wants to contract you if you'll just take out the Jesus stuff, but you know Hmm. that God wants you personally to keep that in. Or maybe you include something in your book that's true to life, but doesn't honor God, or you fudge the truth somewhere along the way, your sales, your career, whatever, you want to make it look better. Maybe you just make getting published like your goal rather than your obedience. Or how about this one? You ignore agreed upon responsibilities to family and friends because you have to write. You know, you've got to get these things in line. And when we do these things, Man, so many more things that I even mentioned, they they leave us with uncomfortable, nagging, devastating even guilt. As they should, because we are guilty when we've sinned. First John 1, 8 through 10 makes that pretty clear. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. 
Now there's some guilt I don't want. So yes, we're created in God's image and we're commanded to be holy as he is holy. We're given clear guidelines in scripture as to what's right and what's wrong. And when we go against those truths, of course, we feel guilty. It's only natural. And it's natural that true guilt negatively affects everything, keeping us from moving forward in our relationships, our careers, our faith, whatever, until we make things right. Yes, and let's repeat that. True guilt affects everything until we make things right. That, you guys, is a vital aspect of true guilt. And that's what makes it true and healthy guilt. And it's a gift. It's a gift in our lives and our writing. God never intended for believers to live racked by guilt, to feel guilt every day in every way and never get away from it. <laughs> okay, let me put a little side note in here, though. Just for unbelievers, guilt is. It's absolutely intended to be there to draw people to Christ. Um, but okay, let's get back to believers. God never intended us to live incapacitated by guilt and overwhelmed by how terrible we are. And isn't that where guilt hits writers the hardest, in that place where we look at the task in front of us, a task that God gave us, and we let guilt tell us we're not worthy to do it. If we live with unresolved guilt, it festers and it becomes a barrier to our belief that God can use us, which is why it's such good news that God doesn't want us to live with guilt. Hear that Amen. again. He doesn't want you to live in guilt. You can all say amen to that. And I found some great insight on all this from a pastor who wrote an article on 242community.com, and we'll have the link to that in the show notes. The pastor's name is Grant Agler, and he wrote in his article, Guilt, Is It From God? Quote, God is for you. Remember that. He's not against you. He's for you. He has gone to great length just to demonstrate how much he is for you, unquote. Agler then points us to Romans 8, 31, 33, which says, If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Right. So this amazing God who is for us, always for us, knows what living in guilt would do to us. And as Agler writes, our loving Father would never heap guilt on you that has no clear resolution. God will give you something better than just guilt. He will give you a path to repentance. God wants to erase our guilt, okay, to remove it so we no longer feel it. He uses true guilt, a good, although yes, terrible, thing to move us to repentance and reconciliation. Again, that's the purpose of true guilt, reconciliation, restoration, and freedom through forgiveness. And that, without a doubt, is a gift. You know, I've never had trouble confessing my sin to God, but oh man, how I hate having to go through the humiliation of confessing my sin to those I've wronged. I really hate it. But God in his mercy showed me the wonder of forgiveness and erased guilt when I was 17. It was my 17th birthday and my friends who um, liked to go cruising in town said they wanted to take me out for dinner. Well, I asked my folks and they said that was fine but my dad looked at me and he said whatever you do if they start to cruise have them bring you home i don't want you there it's not safe so of course we went out to dinner we had a great time and then they wanted to go cruising well <laughs> i was 17 so as much as i adored my dad i went along with it 
And when they dropped me off at home, I was consumed with guilt. Honest to heaven, guys, this was the first time I'd flat gone against something my dad had told me not to do. So I went up to my room. I barely talked to my folks. I went up to my room. I could hear them going to bed downstairs. And I'm laying on my bed and crying and suffering. And <laughs> and God, I pulled out my Bible and God led me to Psalm 32 which I got to tell you is a wonderful testimony to the effect of feeling guilt when we sin. In verses three through five, David had intimate knowledge of feeling guilt. Listen to what he said. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. (laughs) That, my friends, is a terrible place to be, even temporarily. I can't imagine living there. So that is why it is so wonderful that we who believe in God never have to stay in a state of guilt. The very millisecond we surrender to the Spirit's leading and confess our sins, God's forgiveness washes us clean. It does, you guys. And when we follow the Spirit's leading to make things right, our freedom is restored. And we had an interview with best-selling author Tamara Alexander, um, podcast episode 130. We'll have a link in the show notes because she shared with us about a devastating time in her career when she did sin. And if you haven't listened to that, do it because you'll you'll see her whole story of how this happened and how God would not let her live in that sin and how, as humiliating as it felt, she confessed to those that she wronged, and and you'll see how God not only set her free, but made her so much stronger. I mean, the rest of that story is just incredible in her faith and obedience. And her experience, guys, is the perfect example of the gift of true guilt. So that is the grand news for all of us, right? We sin. Yes, we put ourselves in a state of true guilt. And yes, we feel the emotion of guilt, but it does not end there. Paul says, thanks be to God. (laughs) You know, (laughs) true guilt is not permanent. In fact, true guilt serves God's purpose for our life, faith, and writing. True guilt is natural and healthy in the life of a believer. It, It does wreck us when we sin, and it makes us admit our weaknesses and sinfulness, which we have to do. It permeates our spirits until we go to God and repent. It is temporary. That's the best news of all. True guilt is temporary. Once we've taken it to God, once we've done as He leads us to make things right, it's done gone. It evaporates in the warmth of holy restoration, and we are free and able to rejoice in God and others' forgiveness. Right. Now, as much as true guilt is healthy for us, there is something else at work where guilt is concerned. Um, Remember how we mentioned the false guilt earlier? Well, sometimes we feel guilty, but we're not sure why. We can't tell if what we're feeling is true guilt or false guilt. False guilt is devastating, and it's a very effective tool that the enemy uses against believers. And it's especially effective against writers who, what we're doing, we're seeking to honor God, you know, but it's effective against writers because we're already so vulnerable to something that we've talked about. We've done an episode about this before, and we'll have a link in the show notes about imposter syndrome. This is why next time, our next podcast, we'll be devoting the entire podcast to understanding, exploring, and erasing false guilt. 
But until then, here's a handy-dandy list from lifecoachingonthego.com to help you determine if what you're feeling is true guilt. Well, their list with a few tweaks from us, of course. (laughs) So when you feel true guilt, you know exactly why you feel this way. Yeah, it's clear you did something wrong and you are responsible and you can't ignore it. It doesn't just go away over time. It leads to learning forgiveness from God and and others and yourself. And it's resolved by facing and stopping the sin, confessing the wrongdoing to God and to those you've wronged, and taking steps according to God's word and wisdom to make it right. And then it ends. Yay. So if those things resonate, then yes, what you're feeling is true and healthy guilt. And yes, it is a gift. Don't hear us saying that it's easy though, or fun. Okay. It's going to take courage to deal with, and it's going to take humility. But remember guys, God already knows your sin. Okay. It's not like you can hide that. Nothing you ever do will surprise him or make him, this is important, take his love from you. Okay. Because God is love. It is his nature and it does not depend on us. Thank God. Right. So when God has used good guilt to work his purpose in your life, you will be able to walk and write, write in the freedom of forgiveness. And your stories, whether they're fiction or nonfiction, are going to resonate with the authenticity of one who is forgiven and restored. And you'll be able to sing with David the rest of that Psalm 32. Now, you didn't think I'd forget to share the rest of that verse, did you? (laughs) So buckle up, friends, because the following verses are why this psalm was so powerful to my 17-year-old sinner self and why I wept when I read them because I just confessed my wrong to my dad and his forgiveness was swift and complete and ended with the assurance, Karen, you could never do anything that would make me not love you. So trust me, those are the same words you'll hear from God when your guilt is forgiven. Here are the words from that chapter that God gave me that night so long ago. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. You can find previous episodes and more resources at rightfromthedeep.com. And I bet you know someone who needs this podcast, so please share it with them. So until next time, embrace the deep. Your writing and your life will never be the same. Mm-hmm.